Hey, what kind of a doctor are you? Me? I'm the unlicensed one. So, welcome to the first session with the unlicensed doctor. That is me, and let me give you a little introduction. This podcast is about me discussing different sorts of um, medical topics, articles, news stories, case studies, and maybe even your very own medical quarries. Uh, if you have such ideas or stories you want me to bring up, do send them at theunlicensedoctor at gmail.com. That's theunlicensedoctor with two Ds in the middle, because I didn't want to blend them into one, at gmail.com. Now, uh, I actually never lost my license. It is far worse than that. I never even got one. Now, you may wonder, what what does that even mean? What is a license? What, what kind of a doctor are you? Well, don't you worry. I will take it from the beginning. So, I studied medicine in Poland for six years, and I got my MD. That's the medical diploma. So, technically, and for all intents and purposes, I am a doctor. However, every country... Um, how do they say, has to approve their doctors, but only after they do something special. And in my case, that means a sort of um, residential practice that would last from one to two years, uh, where after which the state would honor me with a license. And the license would include a doctor code, which would allow me to roam free and prescribe medicines to all the people of the land. Mm, Now, this is where my troubles began. Now, Don't get me wrong, I did work at the hospital for over two years, and I want to say I'm quite good at it. However, being unlicensed uh, puts me sort of under control of whatever hospital I work with, so I don't use my own doctor's code to prescribe medicine. I use the one of the hospital, which kind of helps keep things in check so I don't suddenly prescribe some random crazy things to somebody. Also, since I worked in psychiatry, I wasn't able to commit people into the hospital. However, that process was made rather easy because if I did choose to do such a thing, I would just fill out the form and have one of my colleagues stamp it. So the only difference between me and them were those two things. However, um, all the doctors working for that hospital, I think, would prescribe um, medicines through the hospital code, if I'm not mistaken. Well, regardless, that did not hinder me from doing that. Anyways, so for two years, me working at the hospital did not count for anything to do the residence program. And don't you think I didn't, like, it wouldn't be such a big deal because if a resident program was easy to get into, that would not have been a problem. However, it is uh, like any other job where you would have to apply. Now, the problem is that in my city, we had always about 300 to 400 applicants and four spots, and this was only available to apply twice a year. Now, I did apply twice uh, of different years, and let me explain why. Because apparently, if you don't get in after the second try, they will bar you from ever doing the residence program in the city and send you somewhere up north to finish it there. And I did not want that to happen to me, so I ended up like trying to save one of the applications for a another time. However, because the process was so so tedious and so frustrating, I I never got it. And to be honest, I just got really frustrated working as an unlicensed doctor at the hospital while earning a lot less than the licensed ones, doing the exact same job and not being able to specialize. Because to be honest, I really liked psychiatry and it's something that I wanted to do. But if I have no opportunity bureaucratically to go forward, it just felt ridiculous to continue in this sort of muck of a situation, so I quit, and now I'm free to distribute my unlicensed knowledge to the world on this very podcast. Uh, For better or for worse, we will see in the future.
<laughs> oh god. Well, uh, let's begin the very first um, session with a topic of nutrition. Before I start, I want to give you a little, a little secret. Most doctors are not very well versed in nutrition. Now, in my studies, I think we talked about food a couple of times. Uh, I was very lucky because I had an amazing diabetology professor doctor and he was amazing and his um, sort of professor's assistants were also amazing. So they described a lot of fascinating things about the processes of uh, food and sugar and how it affects diabetes and stuff. So I feel like I have a rather good base for it. However, I think another reason why it is not so common in medical studies, because I think there's a lot of actually conflicting information, I mean, especially out in the media. I mean, there are so many trends that change throughout the, the years. Uh, and I think the reason for that is that there's like a no size fits all sort of diet for every single person, because we all vary so much. I mean, it's not only age differences, sex differences, um, intestinal flora, intestinal bacteria, our genetics, our current activity status, um, just general life circumstance. Like, there are just so many factors that it would take... I think if you really wanted to give someone the ultimate diet, you would have to take them and analyze them for a couple of months and then try to figure out from there, and that would just take too many resources. Uh, luckily enough, I think that our bodies are quite capable to sort of do the analysis subconsciously, but we have to give our bodies a kind of a base of food available. Now you might say, well, that's kind of silly. Our subconscious mind will only want us to eat cookies. Um, and that can be the case too, but I think there's a lot of foods that we as humans produce are very sort of holographic. And by that, I mean they're sort of empty with this projection of a color and a taste that's supposed to signify something else. So we enjoy eating them even though it's kind of empty inside. And I think that's um, a very important issue to take um, to heart because I think if the more food we add to our database of taste, so if we buy a lot of raw food, so a lot of vegetables, a lot of fruits, a lot of meat that we prepare at home from scratch without all these um, extra additives, I mean, it's kind of hard to always avoid, but um, as least as possible, I think we would give our body sort of a base of available nutrition that it can sort of um, refer to with different types of cravings. Um, I know myself, like a personal anecdote here is that uh, when I was around 12 to 13, I, I really wanted eggs and for about two weeks. And like, usually I hate eggs and I found the consistency a bit strange, but during those two weeks, I just ate eggs, 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 eggs. And I kind of started to think about it. And I think maybe it's because I was going through puberty and I needed some special protein, but like my body kind of wanted that. And I think if we are able to listen to these sort of wants that are not kind of shaded by all this fancy, sugary, delicious food, then we would be able to sort of adjust our diet a little bit better. But maybe that's something that we would have to sort of uh, be aware of and even analyze and tweak a little bit ourselves. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just think that's that would be the best way to do it. I mean, I don't have all the answers, even though <laughs> it is actually quite funny. I have this little and well, little story from the psychiatric hospital. So when I just began, uh, we had this uh, patient that had anorexia. And at that time, they weighed about 30 kilograms. That's about 60 pounds, which was, um, you know, um, a lot better because um, at the worst, that patient weighed maybe... Um, 
how do you say, eight or 11 pounds less. So, I mean, it was quite a feat for them to gain so much. And because of their condition, they prefer to sort of drink protein shakes or meal supplements rather than eat solid food. So, and that was working for them and they were gaining weight and they were doing well. And in fact, to be honest, I think they were probably one of the best um, outpatients we had. I mean, they, they were doing as good as one can get. Like, I would not be worried about that patient. I wouldn't be worried that anything bad would happen to them because they were just so stable in their own sort of way. I mean, not exactly as stable as a completely healthy person would be, but they they could take care of themselves. Like, I would not be worried about them. So anyway, they're they're sort of the protein shakes that they were supposed to get, those meal supplements, they're about to expire, and usually it's the sort of the government that provides them. And in order to get them for another year, they have to get a referral. Now, I couldn't send this referral. It had to come from a nutritionist. So I had to send a referral to the nutritionist to, for them to send a certificate to the government, which would then in turn allow this uh, protein thing, uh, protein supplement shake thing to continue. <laughs> so as you can see, bureaucracy at work. Uh, so I wrote out my little referral, uh, sent it to nutritionist. Next day, I get the most frantic call ever. This nutritionist calls me with, I don't know, I think her head spinning, yelling, freaking out what she was supposed to do, asking me for help, advice. It was like a person sinking and I had the only raft in the entire ocean. They were just clawing at me with their questions of what to do, what sort of nutritional drink to give, um, how the patient's kidneys would take. Can they even have protein? What sort of drop they were on? Now, this person was not at the ward. They were an outpatient that from time to time picked up their medicines and drinks. But like, (laughs) it was just so funny to see this nutritionist freaking out and not knowing what to do and asking me, this unlicensed doctor for advice that had (laughs) very limited knowledge of nutrition. And they were supposed to be the sort of specialist that's aiding um, the healthcare system in these circumstances, but they had no idea what to do. Um, eventually I just told her to give the patient whatever she was having for the year before, cause it was working. I mean, obviously the patient's blood values were not exactly the ultimate, but they had to reach their own equilibrium and it would make no sense to try and, um, stabilize them so quickly because that happens more naturally when the person gains weight slowly. So I don't know, I just found that extremely funny how this professional was asking me for advice that I was not exactly the most capable to answer, but uh, their frightenedness really um, kind of put perspective on things. See, that's another thing in medicine that um, uh, as a doctor, you're sort of responsible at the end of the day, even though you have all these other health personnel, like, you know, nutritionists, nurses, um, anything else. Uh, psychologists that have their opinions and, you know, they're very strong and steady by them. But when shit hits the fan, they blame always the doctor. Like, so it's always the doctor's fault. So you you always also have to be sort of a bit of a manager and an out analyst of all the different people to see how much you can trust their opinion. Because at the end of the day, it's your head on the line as opposed to theirs, because they will always uh, blame you for doing the wrong decision. <laughs> But yeah, so I thought that was a funny, funny uh, circumstance. Now, for my final part, I think um, I would like to still add something about this whole, um, you know, fat is bad sort of trend. 
uh, and sugar and stuff like that. This is something that I learned from the diabetologist doctor. And he specifically said that when you eat fat, fat does not go into fat in the body. It is sugar that turns into fat in the body. And um, I tried to think of a really good analysis to do, to, uh, to sort of portray um, this reaction because otherwise it's rather boring to read all the chemical processes that go on in the cells. So imagine this. Imagine that um, a brick represents uh, glucose, so like a sugar, like a simple, simple sugar. So brick is glucose. Now, imagine that there's a lot of bricks and they're slathered in cement to make this giant, giant wall, you know, huge wall. So, and that's fat. That represents fat in my little story here. And let's say you're, you're living in a tiny room and you have a regular doorway. What is easier to bring into the room if you wanted to build a second tinier room inside that room? Like, let's say you wanted to put up a wall. Is it easier to bring brick by brick and just build it in place or try to somehow squeeze in this giant massive um, wall slathered in cement through the doorway? And I think most of us would do the brick option because it's easier to bring them in and sort of arrange them how you want them as opposed to trying to bring in this giant wall, which you probably would have to break down outside um, the doorway and then build it back up in again. So it just seems very unnecessary to add that extra step of breaking it down and then rebuilding it again, as opposed to starting from simple blocks. And I think that's essentially what happens with um, sugar and fat in the body. So when you eat fat... It doesn't make much sense to break it down to get energy and then build it back up into fat. I mean, obviously that happens sometimes too, but it is a lot, a lot easier for sugars to be made into fat directly. And I think glucose even does stimulate them, the fat building processes in the body. So that is, um, I think, very important to keep in mind. And all those like, you know, fat-free products, they have a lot of sugars in them to create the bulk of, you know... Um, what the fat would represent that they have taken out. So keep that in mind. I think all sort of um, food types are necessary. Um, I think it's what you do have to maybe worry about is more of these additives and those holographic foods that pretend that they're one thing and add all these like flavors because I mean, they are delicious, but what is the sort of nutritional value? And as I mentioned before, in the beginning of the podcast, what is it that your body needs? Because maybe you can get even tricked by eating all the foods that have all these flavors, but no substance. So I think it's just about trying to eat more of the, the raw ingredients that you buy and you make yourself to sort of give yourself the palate of what is available and maybe what's in there. And I think there's just so many um, how do you say, substances uh, to go through of what your body needs and uh, might not need. But like at the same time, there's uh, not enough research done on a lot of it. So I think it's a rather broad topic. Maybe I'll bring it up again through some sort of individual nutritional factor that I can discuss in further detail. Um, so this is my general opinion and ideas on food. Uh, if you'd like me to discuss any particular medical topic or some sort of scientific research paper or perhaps your very own quandary, do email it to me at theunlicensedoctor at gmail.com. That's theunlicensedoctor with two d's in the middle at gmail.com and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.